0: Some episodes may contain adult themes or explicit language. Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we are very excited to be joined by special guest Fear Dragon, who's a veteran professional StarCraft commentator. If you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash As always, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague Brett Lindley. Brett, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Today is a good day. Yeah, man. Uh, and then as we said in the intro, uh, really excited to have a special guest, Fear Dragon, on. Fear Dragon, how are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing most excellent, Walker. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, super pleasure. For sure. So um, so Fear Dragon, you have been a caster in the StarCraft scene for quite a while now. And I was actually looking at um, uh, Liquipedia and then also Team Liquid's website. Well, and I and I'd seen that, like I'd seen a post from 2019 that you had made on Team Liquid's website that was Ooh. kind of explaining that you were kind of taking a step back from casting full time and and laid out a bunch of reasons. And we don't have to get into all of that. I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot as much as just it seemed like you were kind of maybe looking to step back. But then in looking at at Team, excuse me, Liquipedia. I mean, you were casting major events as recently as a month ago. You were at IM Katowice, right? So <laughs> what's yeah. going on?
1: No, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, it's totally fair. I think I get that a lot. Actually, I think one of my favorite things to do as everyone who becomes incredibly narcissistic does, you start to Google your name and see what comes up <laughs> autocomplete. I don't uh, think it
2: takes much of a narcissist <laughs> to start doing that. <laughs> Either that or maybe I just found out I'm way more narcissistic than I thought it was. <laughs> I just look every now to see like, is it out there yet? Is
1: it out there? Am I more than yeah. just the yellow pages? No. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, uh, but yeah, like that's, that's one of the, like that team liquid thread is actually one of the things that comes up pretty early on in the search results and everything. And at the time, uh, for context there was just a lot of stuff happening in my life where i was like my uh i had like a family close family member that was dealing with like cancer and stuff at the time and i was gonna have to make some big life changes there was a lot of stress and anxiety from being full-time into commentary and everything so basically i decided i'm gonna take a step back like i was only at this full-time for like three four months or something but then i kind of just kept going with it for a little bit longer because i'm like yeah i am not really sure that i want to go back to working full-time yeah you know i committed to these commentary gigs i just still guess i'll keep doing them so i basically just kept going for another year before i ended up actually going getting like my another full-time job as a software developer actually uh back and it's funny because yeah i'm still commentating and everything and funny enough i'm still commentating about as much as i was before it's just i'm not doing it full-time anymore
0: right so it's just not your exclusive income stream so it's there's not maybe the same pressure tied to Mm -hmm. uh to it
1: yeah it's it's now the vast minority of my income so i uh have (laughs) very little stress and pressure coming from that
0: right right so obviously you've been casting starcraft for a long time when did you start playing starcraft
1: oh boy uh yeah so i know that i didn't uh i i started playing with starcraft one And when I say StarCraft 1, I don't mean StarCraft Brood War, the expansion. I mean StarCraft 1. StarCraft. (laughs) But if you look at the dates of when I started playing, I started playing when the expansion came out. Like, if you looked at, like, a timeline of my StarCraft activity, you would look at it and be like, oh, he got into it when Brood War launched. Like, that makes sense. Not exactly. My parents refused to buy me any of these, like, rated T for teen games or anything Uh. at the time. So I had a friend... Who I would go to his house and basically when he Brood War came out, I, I I was like playing at his house Starcraft one with him with like I think it was like called spawning or something like you uh, could like clone
2: a disc
1: yeah there was all yeah. kinds of fun stuff you could do for just like pure LAN uh co-op kind of thing so I'd play with him there but I didn't actually get Starcraft and start playing it a lot more until Brood War came out. He was like, "I have Brood War now. You can have my StarCraft One CD." Ah. So that's how I got that. And then, like a year later, he's like, "I'm good. I'm I'm done with Brood War." And I'm like, "Thank you. I'll take that." <laughs> yeah.
0: So, did you did you ever play? Did you did you play at a at a high level in StarCraft Two ever? Even. I mean, and when I mean high level, I guess were you ever looking <laughs> at going pro? I mean, was that ever on the table, or was that not really in your your line of sight.
1: I think if I were to compare it uh, like myself, because back then people were a lot worse at Starcraft than they are today and everything. So re- everything's relative. But I think if back then I looked at like the overall skill level of people compared to myself, it would be kind of like uh, if there was like a big FIFA game with a lot of the top names and everything. I would be like the centipede on a blade of grass in that football <laughs> field. Like I You're was on the field. i I don't think I made every unit that existed in Starcraft at the time. I don't even <laughs> think I knew all the units. like i was I was like an absolute child. I, I had zero skill in the game,
0: right. Yeah. Well, I guess the and the reason I ask is just because it's I think that, you know, when I think about trying to cast something, it seems like you would want to have this like almost expert level knowledge of it to be able to cast it. And so does that translate into play? But it sounds like it's not necessarily that you have to be a pro-level player in order to be a pro-level caster.
1: A very contentious topic amongst uh, people in the community Ooh. and everything. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely of the opinion that to commentate StarCraft, you obviously have to understand the game to some degree. You have to be able to follow like the thread of the story going on in the game. And uh, sometimes I do look like a bit of the fool if I don't pick up on something, same as anyone else would. But I do think that, like, it's not a requirement that you're, like, an absolute expert level pro. I think that you can basically develop the ability to analyze or, like, look at games and kind of understand what's going on. And there's also a lot that you bring as a commentator besides just, like, here is my super deep understanding of the game, like, showing it off. A lot of what I like to do is, like, the hype commentary. I like to tell the stories of like the people behind the screens like who's actually playing the games like how did they get here and talk about how you know this player got to this point even though he's also like a high school student and is doing all these other things but like just this unbelievable raw talent or like perseverance to you know clearly not pay attention in class to you know starting starcraft instead is like got him to this point that kind of stuff
0: right right
2: well you you bring up a really good point there which is that like personally when i watch for when i'm watching casted games there's there is a balance to be had like if somebody is just raw numbers and pure unit composition even even if you're high energy sometimes i don't care the ex- i don't need to know the exact <laughs> mathematical breakdown of the amount of damage the units are doing is it a counter or isn't it is really all i need and the story can carry that so much more. And and on the flip side, sometimes there there are situations where there's close calls, where knowing the math can be fun or helpful. But I think that if it's just purely that, that that can almost take away from the, the action and the story is why we're watching, right? Like a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really good point. And there's always something that I, I kind of feel like I miss from the old school days where I think back in the day there was like less focus on here are all the numbers and the actual math and stats and everything and i think when you go into that world there's like almost this kind of degree of mystery and like i don't know like magic behind some of the things that people do now it's like okay wow this player got to like you know eight marines at x time or something in the game like how do they do it it's like well Here's the replay. Here's the build order. Here's the exact numbers of what you have to do to repeat this. But back in the day, it was like, how does he have more units? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> there's something fun about that, right? Where you're just like, how do they do it? Like, it's it's just this magic that they pull off somehow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that Brett and I have talked about, and we don't really know how to describe it with succinct <laughs> language, but it's it's almost like there's some part of us that's upset that the internet broke gaming, which doesn't make sense as a sentence, but, but it's what you're talking about, where it's like, and not just in StarCraft, but in you know in old MMOs like pre-Wow and even early Wow, when there wasn't this enormous just databases of of information to look everything up, like there was this sense of mystery and discovery. And the truth is, is that yes, really, what it is is largely inefficient gameplay, right? i i'm not i'm not a robot right and i'm not trying to just always be the very very most dominant player like that's not always the reason that the game is fun um so i think there's definitely some some truth to to what you're saying there
2: yeah stumbling into a a good build could feel like stumbling into a god build because nobody (laughs) knew god builds existed because they weren't sharing them
1: (laughs) yeah i i'm definitely on board with what you guys are saying and walker like i don't know if you guys did you guys play a zelda breath of the wild anytime recently
0: Uh, I haven't. I've heard a lot about it, and we played a game... That was supposedly very heavily inspired by it very recently, called Valheim. I don't oh, know if you're yeah. familiar with I've that or not. It, but yeah. please, still talk about Breath of the Wild. Whatever your point was going to so be. So
1: I just thought there was something really cool that happened with Breath of the Wild, and actually, now that I think about it more, this also happened a little bit with Pokemon Go at the very beginning. Ooh.
2: Okay. Like, so I was a big, I was a big Pokemon Goer. Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> All right. All awesome. Right. So I remember, like, at the very launch, or early start of Pokemon Go, and also when Breath of the Wild just came out. There was, I don't know, this like weird thing. Maybe it's just like my experience and a few other people that I know, but like the whole internet culture of like as soon as information is known, everybody just goes looks and looks it up and like mm-hmm. capitalizes on it. I feel like that didn't exist as much. And it kind of was you you learned information through like first party or like second party sources where you talk to a friend yes. and they'd be like, Yeah, I heard like, oh yeah, if you do this one thing, like then you can unlock such and such. And there was like a lot of discovery and like kind of the old school days before, like you guys are saying the internet and breath of the wild. I felt like I went through that to some degree. I remember everyone was always saying like, just every single one of my friends that was playing breath of the wild at the time was like, Oh, you're playing breath of the wild. Okay, cool. Don't tell me anything. I'm trying to do a blind playthrough. Like it was so cool. And I went through that also and man, I just enjoyed it so much more It's so much more fun to that.
2: Yeah, I, no. I definitely had that happen with uh, with the first Diablo, um, mm-hmm. one of my buddies, because I was a, I was single player and I had like beaten the game single player. And I thought like because I beat the game, I was like, oh, I'm I'm at least good. I know what I'm doing. And one of my buddies get we do like a, a land game. And he's like, why don't you have play to the whale? I'm like what? And and he's like, yeah. He's like, also, what do you mean? You you? I like asked him for some gold or something, and he <laughs> dropped like a nine 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 stack. And I'm like, what? He's like, do <laughs> you? Yeah, just dupe it to get what you need. And because I didn't know, like, there's a belt mm. dupe trick where you like drop an item and then pick a potion up off your belt and drop it at the same time, and the internet would lag and give you two of that item. And I and so he like showed it to me, and he's like, yeah, just do this, and it happens. And it blew my mind. But nowadays, if you Google any game, one of the first things that comes up is like duplication exploits for almost anything that you could, could look for out there. You have to like shield your eyes from the cheats <laughs> to get a pure play experience like.
0: Yeah, well, and that's with Valheim that I brought up, like it's a it's kind of a survival adventure game, but the survival elements are uh, pretty tame compared to something like Ark or Rust or Daisy or something like that. And it's not PvP focused. And and the developers said that they were heavily inspired by Skyrim and and Breath of the Wild. So really try to lean into the adventure side of it. Mm. Um, Anyway, I don't mean to go on and on about it. The reason (laughs) I bring it up is just because we play, like, it's a brand new game. It's been out maybe a month and a half now. And we picked it up, I think, the first week or two it came out. And so it turns out that the wiki just isn't there yet. Like the community hasn't. There's wrong info in the wiki. Right. And so.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's the best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we had that same experience you're talking about, where it's like, a we tried not to look, and then even if someone got, you know, irritated and decided to just go ahead and look, you can't in a lot of cases. Or to Brett's point, it's wrong. And yeah, I don't know. There's just something about that that um, I don't. I don't know how we get it back. I mean, other than just. Mm -hmm. It, like you talked about, where it's just this kind of natural way where a group of friends agrees to not spoil and to not go, you know, on the Internet and spoil it for themselves.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it's such a, it's such a tough problem. And I actually think in a lot of ways, uh, I, I I have like a video that I put out at one point, and it's something I strongly believe, but I don't even know what the solution is for this. But I, I actually think the fact that like uh, with StarCraft specifically, there is this. Huge deal of like ladder anxiety. I don't know if you guys have heard like that term and everything, where basically, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a a lot of people basically
2: started our podcast because of
1: it. Oh, perfect, perfect. Uh, contextually appropriate, then there you go. (laughs) Ladder anxiety, huge problem where, yeah, it's just people don't feel stressed by playing it, and it's like really really difficult to get past that and i think that's also been creeping up like i've actually felt ladder anxiety or seen other people feeling ladder anxiety in other games that are multiplayer like league of legends or dota or overwatch all these other kind of games and i think it's so funny because i think of starcraft 2 is a perfect example so so prevalent to see ladder anxiety in this game and in almost every single measurable way starcraft 2 is a easier game to play than starcraft one or starcraft brood war in every single measurable way like starcraft (laughs) 2 makes playing the game so much smoother of an experience than playing brood war but i don't remember a single person when i was growing up being (laughs) like you know brood war i just i just have the sickest ladder anxiety like i just can't play like no one said that and i think a lot of it to me is also it has to do with like that internet and I think the exposure of eSports especially has actually, I say this like as an eSports commentator, I think eSports has ruined like a lot of games for a lot of types of people where it's like now, so my my big theory on this is that StarCraft is a great example for this because oh, there's a large demographic of people who actually watch as much or more StarCraft than they play. So if you think about that, if you're watching, yeah, go go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah, Brett's raising his hand. Yeah, um, there's a. Uh, I mean, I think I've been like that for a, a lot of periods of my life too. But when you do that, effectively, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, well, most of the StarCraft I'm watching is probably people that are better than me, if not like pro level. So that's if that's say fifty percent of your time, and then fifty percent of your other time is spent playing it, but we have great matchmaking now. So 50% of those opponents that you're playing are better than you and 50% are worse. So effectively now, if you do the math on that, it's like 75% of your StarCraft experiences. Here are people better than me. I'm terrible at this game. And only 25% is like this little ego boost of like, I I'm worth something. (laughs) I'm (laughs) confident. Yeah. I won one. Oh my God. Like it, it feels like this overwhelming experience of negativity because you're effectively always comparing yourself against this like unrealistically high bar because of the way you're experiencing the game now, which has changed with the internet. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think I refused to watch. I, I was for a little bit started. We'd started playing a lot of Rocket League with a mm-hmm. couple buddies, like Walker, myself and another buddy. And I started watching Rocket League videos and they're fun. They're cool. It's cool to watch like the big tournaments as well as like training guides and cool stunts and whatever. And then I realized I was like, I started getting that anxiety that I wasn't pushing myself hard enough to be better. And I'm like, I'm not trying to play this game to get pro. I'm trying to play it to have fun. So if I'm in gold, then so be it. I will have, as long as I'm having fun, that's all I care about. And I actually stopped watching the game so that I could get that fun back. So I definitely feel what you're saying with that. Hmm.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that was the case. And, 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 but I completely agree and I think, I mean, it's it's even, it's even more ridiculous when you bring it up because like the ladder anxiety that I would have, the only person I know in my real life that might ever know what my StarCraft ladder rank would be is probably Brett and he's equivalent <laughs> skill to me roughly. You know what I mean? So, and it's not like, it's not like I'm, there's no consequence <laughs> from yeah. someone finding out that I'm in gold and silver. You know what I mean? Like it's fine, but. Uh, but you're right there is this anxiety about it and and i think you, i think that makes a lot of sense what you're saying that, that esports has kind of driven that um by presenting i mean i guess you know it 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 really is synonymous with the celebrity culture and everyone mm. thinking that they're all supposed to have a a brand new car or that they're all supposed to be, have a six pack abs or yeah. go on vacation to cancun exclusively or whatever like it's all of that same kind of societal, cultural thing. And I don't, I also am with you where I have no idea how we (laughs) solve that. Someone far smarter than I was. Well, I think, (laughs) I I, I, I don't know.
2: And maybe i make make making a stretch here, but I think I tie it to uh, like art culture in in the same way the internet has kind of done that there too, is that it's hard to have any hobby without thinking about how it could be monetized. And then suddenly Mm. having to deal with the fact that you've thought of that and now the eSports are a thing, and you've got your big top streamers in any game, you can become big. And so suddenly playing a game, the minute you think like should i should I be trying to monetize this can suddenly cause that anxiety. Well, like if I'm going to monetize, I need to be better. And if I need to be better, then I've got to and now there's pressure, yeah.
1: yeah, oh man. it's it's such a tough topic, also to like, yeah, wrap your head around and, like, okay. I have this thing i really enjoy but now i don't enjoy it because i was too passionate about it now i want to make it a thing like oh my god this is the worst problem
0: right right uh, so uh, kind of going back to the, the casting a bit but you, i watch a lot of like nba basketball i'm a pretty big nba fan so i'm i'm very used to what i'll call traditional physical sports commentating or, or casting Um, And and the format that they use is almost exclusively one person is play by play, and then one or two other people are color commentators or analysts or whatever language you want to use around that. But it seems like in, in StarCraft, and please correct me if I've misunderstood, but it seems like in the StarCraft casting scene, roles aren't really defined that clearly. Like, it feels like everyone is kind of doing both. What is your thought on that?
1: Uh, absolutely i think you hit the nail on the head and even compared to a lot of other esports because i think there are other esports that have a bit more defined roles and i think especially that's complemented by the fact that a lot of other esports have hard set pairings like if you look at overwatch or even like dota and a lot of these other games there are usually casters that basically almost always pair together and they usually just casting with each other like you Sometimes my cast is someone else, but you that's your caster pair and buddying, so you get to define those roles really heavily a lot of the time, or like they're oftentimes picked out that way. In StarCraft, we do something very different, we do like this rotating, like during the event alternation. It's actually pretty rare for the most part. Actually, we kind of almost actively avoid even having the same two people commentating, like. multiple matches on the same day together it's like Hmm. mix things up and i think there's like benefits and negatives to it uh one of the benefits is that everyone becomes very adaptable you kind of get to learn how to like basically do a lot of different stuff and you kind of become like a little bit more of a jack of all trades and another benefit is also just that the, the show is kept very. I want to say, like, Alive, there's, like, always a very different feel with every single, like, pairing that comes on, which I think is really cool. Um, You might have someone who's, like, super-duper hardcore analyst, and they pair with, like, a, a play-by-play commentator or something. And, yeah, you get, like, that traditional pairing. And then the next time it's going to be, like, two, sh- two play-by-play commentators. It's like, wow, now this is totally different energy level, totally different style and everything. And the stuff that they're focusing on is very different. And then you get pair it in with like two analyticals and it's like oh this is also really different so i think that part's really cool the downside is i think that sometimes it does mean you get like odd pairings or sometimes like pairings that don't work quite as well uh i think most of us are pretty good at working with each other so it's like the bar is like it's not descending too far but i think it's a uh, it sometimes could be uh like a better show i sometimes think if we just had hard set pairings from that angle i mean
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think of, you know, the, probably the most iconic example in StarCraft would be Taste, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um But the, even there, it doesn't really work because uh, Artosis is really both an analyst and the play-by-play guy. And Tasteless kind of is, I guess, just the, the color guy. I mean, he's very good <laughs> at being excited and bringing like a fun energy to it. And they're obviously very successful and popular. So I don't mean to... to Denigrate what they do at all, but just even there and that and those two always work together, obviously, because they're the two in Korea. But even there, it's not even that really hard to find role like it is outside of that.
1: Totally, uh, I think Tastos is also a really fun example too, because if you look at Brood War, Tasteless actually becomes a lot more analytical in like a Brood War setting, and I right. huh. yeah, it's it's like a very different chemistry, even just changing to still even Starcraft, but like a different. Brand of starcraft in a lot of ways i think right. the other thing is uh like the analyst and play-by-play definitions i think they are still pretty prevalent but i i think more and more especially in starcraft we've come to like stop thinking of things quite in that hard set of a way i think there's like a lot of different uh benefits that you can give or like adv- i guess there's a lot of different ways you can add to the broadcast. Like I would actually say, I'm probably lean more toward play-by-play, and I enjoy that a lot more. But I would also say, like the quote-unquote analyst side of things that I really enjoy is, like I was saying, the the player backstory and the history, and I like doing a lot of research on that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily know as much about like build orders and everything as uh, another one of the commentators, like Pig or something. But I, I think I get to contribute in my own ways that are somewhat tangentially related to that so i I think play by play and analysts it's like to me it's it's going to gradually fade out i think we're going to see more interesting combos and like ways that people pair together
2: you still always have to fill the first three minutes
1: (laughs) it's no longer like eight to
2: ten minutes like it was in brood war where the the intro is just like they did their (laughs) drone split and let's talk about the last game now
1: Yeah. And I mean, talk about is like that's what they're really, really good at. They're really great at filling time, especially I think uh, like uh, Nick or uh, Tasteless is really, really good at just filling those extra uh, little bits where there's not a whole lot happening and everything. And that, that's again, like, is that a play by play skill? Is that an analyst skill? Like, I guess maybe it's a little more in play by play kind of, but like right. it's its its own thing. It's, it's a separate thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at, you know, um, Kind of back to my earlier question about: Do you have to be a pro gamer in order to be a pro caster? And, and the answer is no. And I mean that's the same in, in traditional sports. I mean the analysts typically in in you know in an NBA broadcast mm-hmm. are former players or coaches or something. But Bob Costas or Al Michaels or any of these really really famous sports broadcasters, none of them are athletes, right? Like they've just been broadcasters. So um, I, I I actually think that for esports to, and obviously esports is you know, exploded in the last decade and continues to grow. So I don't mean to act like it's still some thing that, that, you know, only people in their mom's basement are watching or something, but, but it's not to the level that traditional sports are still as as far as consumption. Mm -hmm. And I think those kinds of things will help that, right? Like I think getting away from the idea that anyone who's casting on this, I mean, you said it's a contentious point in the community. Well, demanding that all of the commentators be former pro players is self-sabotage right because that's not what we see in in more successful versions of of sport commentating i guess
1: yeah it's it's also very funny because i think the way that commentators and i don't even think i necessarily fit super well in this bucket but like i think especially early commentators in starcraft 2 especially it's like the the way you look at starcraft commentators is i think the way that a lot of people in other esports are like even traditional sports look at players like the the commentators are very very much the big celebrities in the early days of starcraft 2 like you talk about like day nine or uh like tasteless and artosis and JP and like all the dj wheat i think back in the day especially it was like they had this charisma that really brought a lot to them and i think Yeah, like bringing things to the forefront and like that growth, even though we're, I agree, we're not, we're not anywhere near like traditional sports just yet and that kind of infrastructure and all the, this, um, I guess, tradition and everything just yet. But I think that the growth comes a lot when you are able to bring out that kind of charisma and you're able to tap in to these other sides of people that's beyond just like, how good are you at talking about the game? Because I think in a lot of esports, like commentators are, I I say this from, like, a biased perspective of my own experience and everything, but, like, I think that commentators have a more active role than what I traditionally see commentators in a lot of traditional sports have. Like, I Mm. I think, I know, I see a lot of more people engaging or watching traditional sports with not really much attention being paid to commentators and stuff, whereas I think in esports it's a lot more common. And maybe that just has to do with the fact that people are watching live streams by themselves, so they're not like at a party or something or surrounded by friends as often, but yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think it's also, I don't know what I was going to say is that with esports because I mean, not only are games constantly changing, I mean, even Starcraft has original Starcraft and then Brood War and then three different versions of Starcraft two. And that's only at the highest level. But then if you want to look at at different patches that define different metas. Like mm-hmm. there's this constant shifting. And so to some extent, I, I think that the the consumer of the esports broadcast also is relying on the commentator to help provide context, whereas rules don't change in basketball that often, right? Or and then like in mm-hmm. football. And I mean, yeah, there are little tweaks, but not in the same there's no, there's no longer just like well, this position's no longer on a basketball team. Like that doesn't happen. Right. There, yeah. Starcraft- if, you, if
2: you watch a StarCraft game from 2017 and the and you don't know and the commentator doesn't say anything, you may be like, "Why are they playing this way? <laughs> right. And why is this happening? None of this is what how this is played anymore." And
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. It's it's also uh I think really really important to note also that in like a traditional sport, if I have never played like football like american football or something i've never watched american football before and then i just kind of sit down and i just watch it with no commentary i will still see like 300 pound dudes colliding full force and full speed into another dude and i'll be like damn i'm a human being that exists in a physical plane and i can appreciate <laughs> what just happened yeah And then you watch, like, you know, a Tekken match or something where it's, like, someone does this absurd flip or something that does, like, this crazy, like, backflip with a kick down hits the guy in the head. I don't know if that was, like, some ridiculous button input or something that was really impressive, or if they hit the X button. Like, I have no context if I don't know the game, and I think that's also another place where commentators are maybe a bit more important, just because there's not quite the same tie to just observable physical uh i guess achievements that a lot of traditional sports have
2: but just rea- you have to explain the reality yeah y- you're dealing with a whole universe of different rules <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
2: yeah so you bring up uh tekken but there uh there's just some other history that you have in uh like super smash bros or smash bros melee rather um or is it melee and brawl my bad um so <laughs> i don't know if you if you want to give us a little bit of your history with smash brothers because i think that's, uh, the i'm i'm pretty interested i uh (laughs) i was a fan of some hungry box for a while oh yeah yeah so i i do enjoy watching some some smash bros pro tournaments and i know the scenes shifted a lot and it went through some rapid changes for a while i think it's starting to settle back down but i'd like to know some of your, your smash history
1: yeah so i guess like technically smash history i mean if you, I'm not gonna go back to like Super Smash for the 64 and all that. I stuff mean, do life. it
2: if you if you have history there.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I do, but like I don't think that's where I would say my Super Smash for this history got started or anything. Right. Like, I think it was a uh, around like 2006, 2007. I remember I was in high school and uh, there was like some other kids there that kind of were talking about it. I think this is actually also my first I would say involved exposure to like it's not esports at the time; it's competitive gaming. That was yeah. the term we use. Competitive gaming um it was my first exposure to a lot of that stuff and like wave dashing and that kind of thing in a very light form some like some kids at my school were basically talking about it or kind of going they i think some of them brought like an emulator that they got installed on their laptop and hooked it up to like some gamecube controllers (laughs) were playing uh melee so i kind of got a little bit more interested in that i very very briefly i'd say like i spent maybe like a year playing a bit of melee very casually i didn't even go to tournaments very much or anything i basically just practiced by myself and i'm like i don't have anyone to play against but super smash brothers brawl is coming out next year in 2008 mm-hmm. so I, I went for like the release of that and uh played like the little tournament and everything i got really amped up on that got on super uh, smash boards which is like the team Liquid.net of super smash brothers which is basically just like the main hub at the time for like right. where everyone went so I actually really enjoyed Brawl, uh, Super Smash Bros. Brawl. It gets a lot of hate, yeah, and I do understand why, but I also think it gets more hate than it necessarily deserves. But, anyways, um, yeah, played Brawl for a handful, uh, like handful of years. Uh, went to some tournaments and stuff. I think my I was never very good. I, I was like pretty bad overall. Um, but I think my, the cool things that I would say came out of that was uh. I got to play a gl- few like practice games and stuff against some players that I think are actually very good today. Like Dr. PP actually used to be uh, a Marth main in yep. Super Smash Brothers Brawl. And on the Smashboards community, there was like, basically they had the character sections for every single character. And I, there was like a back room, uh, like group basically for every single character that was like, this is a back room. That's a private, invitation only thing for each character. Where all the top players and analysts for a particular, for like this community or whatever, would talk about the nuances of their character and all these like new things or like new combos and stuff that they found. And it was all super duper stuck up, absolutely useless <laughs> stuff. No, no, very little actually actually <laughs> happened in any of those things. But I got into that, and I got to like you know, talk with a lot of these other people and everything. So I, I thought that was actually a lot of fun, but that's where I, I would say I got started in actually competitive gaming. Uh Smash Bros always has like a, a very special place in my heart because I think I'm I very fondly look back on like some of the tournaments and stuff that I entered into, got knocked out of almost immediately, and then just got to hang out and play friendlies with people with
2: that's awesome. Who's your who's your main? Like your your all time Smash Bros. main?
1: I'm a I'm a Marth main. Alright. I'm a I'm a dirty dirty Marth main. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't know very much about Smash Brothers, honestly. Um, I haven't owned a Nintendo console in a really long time, so and not because I'm not not even because I don't like it or think it's bad. It just mm-hmm. that's just how it went. Um, but so my impression of it was always like, oh, it's like a Nintendo like kid fighter game, or <laughs> I don't know, whatever. And then oh. I, I, I'm completely wrong to be. No, clear. no, no. I,
1: it's just funny because I, I just even the smash bros community back in like 2008, it was like the hot thing where basically they were self-deprecating. They're like, we're not a real fighting game. Like smash bros <laughs> isn't even that creative game. If you want to play a real fighting game, go play street fighter or something. It was just funny. Cause it like the meme descended so far that like the smash bros community made fun of itself for it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. Um, well, and so that's, you know, obviously it, it it's a very, famous and, and popular series at this point still. And um, I've become aware that I was completely wrong about what I understood about it. And in talking with some some friends of mine that are, are really avid players, the thing that they talk about that they like so much is that, unlike a Street Fighter or a Mortal Kombat or something, where there's really, really strict combos and like move sets that you would then execute, not that there's not moves in Smash Brothers, but that it's just a lot more open-ended in that, you kind of string together what you think makes sense. And I'm sure there's a meta in that sort of thing, but it, but there's just more flexibility in it. And the same thing is true with StarCraft. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking earlier, when you when you start getting into StarCraft, you know, the internet breaks it, right? Because there's all this math and all these build orders. And I mean, I have a friend recently that I was just trying to introduce to StarCraft and you Know he's just very overwhelmed. I mean, he he picked Zerg and he didn't understand Queen Sprays, right? And like, doesn't all of these little nuanced things? And so it seems like it's this really rigid structure. And fighting games, I think, get that rap as well. But the truth of both Smash Brothers and StarCraft is that they actually both offer a lot of opportunity for expression if you can get to a, at least some baseline level of play. I mean, again, you're not going to pick it up day one and express yourself accurately or something but what do you think about that is that true does that make sense
1: i think it's actually very true uh, i'm so glad that you even made the point because i think uh, i'll start with starcraft i i think it's like true and for almost different reasons or ways for each one of the games like starcraft i think gets as rep of like you have to do the build orders you have to play like the pros i mean i know silver league players that are like i if you don't play with the pro-level builds, and it has to be recent pro-level builds, then what are you doing? And I'm, like, sitting here crushing, like, people on, like, Masters 2 or something, and I'm, like, I'm using an adapted build from six years ago. I'm, <laughs> <Right>. I'm macroing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm kind of – I'm, like, I'm like my, one of my go-to build orders for uh, Protoss versus Terran is, like, this – blink. it's, like, this stalker opening versus Terran – that nobody does anymore that literally it's like from six years ago i watched this is how old it was i I learned it from a day nine daily which hasn't (laughs) happened for a long time right and i adapted it a little bit to legacy the void uh because you know there's a lot of changes in legacy the void and i'm like yeah this is my opening and it still works well not because it's a good opening but because there are so there's so much room for you to basically make up for build orders and optimizations and all that stuff uh, with just your mechanics or like ingenuity or there's so many different ways you can kind of capitalize on advantages in the game and things that you're good at. And I think that that's what allows people in StarCraft up until a Grandmaster League level to do like crazy stuff. I, my One of my, I think, best examples is that the other main thing that I do on StarCraft Two Ladder is I go Mass Dark Templar. And if you don't know what that is, it's like <laughs> this was a unit that was literally designed to basically be, like, permanently cloaked. It does a lot of damage, but it's very weak. And it was made to be, like, a harassment unit, and occasionally, like, a a cheap win thing. But I just make, like, 70 of them. And then I walk (laughs) into their base, and I I actively initiate... Like, I actively sit there, and I'm like, I could go in now, but I'm going to wait until they move into the middle of the map, then I'll go in, because then it's a base trade. And if you do a base trade when you have to get detection for my Dark Templars, like... I already feel more. It's it's not only that it's good for me; it's that I'm comfortable in that, and I know they're not. I've almost beaten Grand Master League players with this because it just takes them out of their comfort zone. There's all kinds of cool stuff you can do like that, where you do get to express yourself and kind of do something cool. I think Smash Bros. Smash Bros. does it in like a very uh, different way, and I think mm. it's because of the movement. I think movement in Super Smash Brothers is, like, actually just one of my absolute favorite things. There's, like, uh, so I'm sure you guys have heard of, like, combo videos, right? Like, in fighting games. Mm-hmm. In Smash Bros., that's that's not my, like, it's not even a guilty pleasure. It's, it, that's not, like, my favorite thing to watch. I have an entire favorite list on YouTube for Super Smash Bros. videos where they've, like, hacked out to just remove the second player. There's only one person on the screen, <laughs> and it's just them moving around doing moves, and I'm just like, this is so beautiful. Oh my mm. god, like, the stuff that they're doing looks so good. Oh my god. Sorry, I... I, no, oh. no. I, think, <laughs> I think that having, for
2: for me, I think one of the things that, like, uh, we, we did a whole episode on fighting games, and traditional 2D fighters, I'm generally just bad at. The only one that I ever really got into was, like, the Soul Caliber series, mm. but even that i think like i love smash brothers so much because there's vertical movement yeah and and that changes everything when it's when you're not locked on the ground and there's ways to escape out of juggling there's ways to recover from juggling or even use juggling to your advantage where you're the one being juggled and if they slip you get a smash attack and you it's over and i think that that's something that is just really underrated about the game is how much movement tech there is like there is a dedicated move for every character that is just a movement move like it may deal some damage but it's a recovery it's a way to get back into the game and just having that something that very few if any really other 2d fighting games really focus on
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely i mean like you compare even just the base level that smash brothers like you were saying uh brett a lot of fighting games, like if you get hit or something, you're in stun lock. Like mm-hmm. that, you're getting hit. There's nothing you can do until your stun lock recovers. Movement is so built into Super Smash Brothers as a core component where people are always able to do something and have some input. That when you get hit, there's something called directional influence or like DI. And in the exact moment you're getting hit, there's something called Smash DI where it literally you can move yourself small bits in any direction basically when that's happening and even after you start going careening off in a particular direction you can hold left or right or up or down and move further in that direction with the hit and that's really a a core component of like how combos and stuff work or breaking combos because when you're doing the combos in smash brothers you're trying to predict what direction they're going to be going because it's going to affect how far you need to jump forward to actually do your attack. If you need to do a different attack, if you can bait them into like youth, like they think that you're going to hit them with, you know, one move, but you hit them with a different move and now their DI is in the incorrect direction. So now you can chain it even further. Like there's so many cool things that you can do with direct influence and like movement in smash brothers. I, I think it's like one of my favorite things about the game.
0: Huh. So I I get another kind of question I had along the casting line. Um, Would you ever be interested in casting another game besides Starcraft? And if you can't say that because of Blizzard stuff or something, that's (laughs) fine. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Don't worry. Blizzard does not own me. I'm free to say whatever I (laughs) want. Yeah, I think I I would be. I think it's, it's something I definitely have thought about. Uh, Like sometimes it's uh, something more on my mind than other times. Like these days it's not, something i'm concerned too much about but i think it's something i'm definitely open to i've done like a few other games here and there like i think i did some local event in san francisco with like rocket league once and I actually found mm. it really fun even though i knew basically nothing about the game um and right. i've done it with another game called uh war groove which is like a turn-based tactical game mm-hmm. um that community has actually been really awesome and i en- enjoy doing it whenever i can um but that's usually I usually don't because of an availability thing. But yeah, I think it's it's something I'm interested in, but it's not something I think I'm tied to doing. It's not something I'm like making sacrifices and really, really actively pursuing.
0: Right. So it's not it's not common no matter what. Like, that's not the, the goal. I mean, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't <laughs> see what comes.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a privilege that I kind of get because esports commentating isn't my full-time gig. If it was, like, absolutely. I I would actually be very actively looking right now because uh, just the way that, like, things sort of work, like you guys were talking about before, I think, Walker, you were saying, like, you know, esports lifespan and how often we are moving between games and everything. Like, you do have to get ready to, like, start moving to the next steps and everything. But I think I kind of get the privilege to just sit back and be like, yeah, I'm just going to, stick around and see what happens and you know frost giant is working on their rts mm-hmm. maybe like if that looks really cool i can look into that or there's like some other rts uh, that are popping on up these days uh like jack attack who's a former starcraft member joined a team that's working on a game called uh, mortals which has like, a kickstarter and everything going on um so there's like a bunch of other things that i'm i'm keeping an eye out on but if it's not fun if it's not like something that i really enjoy then there's no way i'm gonna end up doing anything with it
0: sure sure yeah that 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 makes a lot of sense right yeah i think i think that there's i think i i hope that games do stick around right like i think we've seen a trend in that way like league of legends has been around forever now dota 2 has been around for a long time starcraft 2 um overwatch hearthstone not as long but (laughs) they've been around for you know half a decade at least now um and I think that if we can get some games that can stick around for you know, I don't know if twenty years is the magic number or if there is one, but some length of time so that it can be familiar to people in the same way that, you know, baseball or basketball or something is, um, yeah, I think that will go a long way and in, in I don't want to say legitimizing it because it's not illegitimate, but yeah, again, bringing it more into the mainstream, I guess, is an easier way to say it
1: i'm I'm definitely with you on that. I, I think it's a really hard problem, though, because, There's a reason why people like to do these new releases or big changes and everything, because it it revitalizes interest in the game a lot of the time. When there's a new release, like, StarCraft 1 was still really popular in Korea, but man, they announced StarCraft 2 and Korea went wild for a little bit. They were, like, really amped up about it. I, I think, like, there's a lot of reasons why they do those, like, updates and even just, you know, update balance, update graphics update engine and all these things like an excuse for a lot of that but i am totally with you walker like i think you compare even just some of the logistical problems about oh you know in professional baseball and everything you have baseball players that are like 36 37 38 years old they've been playing for like 15 years how many esports titles can do stuff like that and those baseball players are making a lot more than the esports players most of the time What happens to all these people? They have to find these other transitions out. And a lot of it, it, a lot of the time, it doesn't look very pretty. And it's really tough because with these new games or even just, I mean, forget new games, new balance patches sometimes make your skill level kind of irrelevant or some of the skills because it's almost like recontextualizes the game. You guys are talking about, uh, I think, uh, Brett, you were mentioning like how they rarely make changes in traditional sports, but even when they make some of those changes, like can fundamentally change the way the game gets played like when right. basketball change how you know the clock timer and stuff works like it's effectively nerfing particular play styles right but if that's happening really often players livelihoods are actually on the line like players that say like i have built a career off of this skill set and now like this month they decided that my skill set is no longer the most important thing like right. what do i what do where where do i go from here
2: right I mean, there's there's some of that even in just I, Walker and I had discussed this earlier. I'm not as big a basketball yep. fan, but I try to stay a little bit aware of just the world around me and just the transition from like two point shots and dunks and charging versus mm-hmm. three point shots where it's a lot more a three point game now. And so you're looking for players that can do that. So if you're, you know, a stylistic dunker charger or whatever, you're less desirable now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your, you know, to, I think the difference is, is that, you know, that meta shift in basketball has happened over a period of five, six years. Right. Right. Not over a new patch came out today <laughs> and now it's different and yeah. uh, just right now. Right. So.
2: So, um, I, I, I want to say we we touched a little bit on it earlier and I kind of want to dig a little deeper is that you had spoken some on uh, ladder anxiety and just kind of dealing with that and seeing that as a thing that you've experienced, you've seen other people experience, and you have a somewhat tangential but related series of videos called Modest Musings on YouTube. <laughs> and I actually really enjoy these because they they speak a lot about like one of the things that we did when, when we decided to start the show was we were overcoming our latter anxiety as well as just kind of dealing with emotions and anger. And realizing that, uh, you know, we discussed way back where I personally have far less road rage, um, not just because I'm not driving as much anymore, but really because the ability to overcome anger has to be you have to face it. And it's not an emotion that I face very often in my day to day life. But in Starcraft, I could face it every five minutes (laughs) and and being aware of it and trying actively to overcome it gave me skills to to deal with it that I could then take and apply out into the rest of the world because I had just gotten used to, okay, breathe. It's fine. It's not a big deal. And then I, I go out and somebody cuts me off in traffic and my brain just goes, okay, breathe. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, "Whoa, my brain's talking about starcraft. i didn't I didn't realize that was what was happening. And I think that your modest musing series kind of touches on a lot of these subjects. And I just like you know, talk about that if you want or or what you can as far as how you think your emotional state has adapted, or how you uh, coach others to adapt to their emotional and mental states through the process of gaming and how those can apply to the real world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's a it's a big bottle to open. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I'm a fan. It's actually one of my favorite topics also. Uh, so, like, I'm a big believer in something that uh, I used to do martial a lot of martial arts. Uh, and my old instructor used to always say, like, you know, when people say, like, you, you hear the old diet or not dietary, but the old saying, like, martial arts isn't, like, about fighting. It's a way of life. And a lot of the reason why they would say that is because effectively the same way that we're talking about like gaming and stuff and how there's lessons you learn in gaming that you can f- apply those lessons to other parts of your life. Like that's what a martial arts was for a lot of these like people of a much older generation and everything. Like where it was like a, a very natural thing that a lot of people would spend time learning martial arts. I feel like most things that are worth doing in life have these little, like, lessons kind of tidied up in neat little bundles for, like, the right type of person to mm-hmm. unlock. And I, I think gaming is so great at kind of unlocking a lot of that. I mean, not even going into StarCraft. There's so many types of games that are even specifically designed to approach a lot of this kind of stuff. I think StarCraft, if you can learn to overcome, like, the latter anxiety, you can apply that, like you were talking about, Brett, to situations like, rage and like you know in these other situations and coping with that i think one of my favorite ones also is just like perseverance and i guess understanding the difference between like an immediate victory like i won the game but am i achieving another underlying goal of improvement and being able to say like and go and approach other things in life and say yes i did get like a a, favorable result in the immediate term but this isn't like my long-term uh goal or like this isn't the long-term result that i'm looking for if i'm practicing to say like I don't know, defend, like, a cheese in StarCraft something, you know, a Zergling rush or a cannon rush or something, you know, the, the tried-and-true cheeses the, of StarCraft. The, the
2: ancient ones. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: I find some old ancient textbooks that say, like, oh, yes, back in the day, 6 rush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But six like there, cool. there are ways I can defend it that completely neglect rationale. Like, if I just say, I'm going to assume that every single one of my opponents— is going to, like, 6-pool me, or 12-pool me, or, you know, Zergling rush me, basically. And I cut parts of my build out, and I basically make sacrifices to defend a Zergling rush every single game. Yeah, I, I will get the victories there. And maybe I even get, like, 10 Zergling ru- I get rushed 10 times in a row by Zergling rushes, and I get 10 victories. But that's, like, a very short-sighted thing. And that's, like, the most obvious example I can think of. But I think in StarCraft, You, I think in order to improve and gradually get better, it's so difficult sometimes looking at, like, the short-term data of, like, I'm winning or I'm losing and saying that's the final output. That's the thing that matters. And I guess, like, to some degree, yeah, if you're, like, a pro player or something, but, like, playing in a tournament and it's, like, the last game of a best of seven for you know $500,000 yeah okay yes winning is everything I I am (laughs) with you here but in like that kind of setting being able to say like no it's not about the win I'm going to be willing to lose I'm going to make changes that are going to be difficult that are going to take like a toll a mental toll on me because I'm going to be dealing with this all the little nuances of doing this the right way and I'm going to tolerate it and come out the other end. Like, that's a life skill. That's a life skill you can apply to your job. That's a life skill you can apply to so many things. And I, I think that kind of uh, stuff is one of my favorite things about gaming in general. Um, I'll, to to cu- uh, take a, a quick detour, my favorite example of this, actually, because uh, in, in the show notes, there was a little question saying, like, what kind of games do you like playing? So RTS is not even actually, like, my main genre that I like playing. I actually like playing uh, platformers. Especially Mm, games like, if you know, like, Super Meat Boy, I think a lot of people know that, or like, Mm -hmm. Celeste. Celeste is one of my favorite games the last, like, 20 years. And the reason why is because I think those style of games teach you about, like, the meaning of just enduring through, and you just finding a way to eventually succeed, Mm. and being willing to fail over and over and over again. Like, the games literally condition you to accept failure, because... They put like very low stakes on if you die, it's like you rewind 10 seconds of work or something. Right. But you get to just keep trying for like literally hours. I've spent hours on some of those levels in like Celeste to get one success. But Mm -hmm. that one success justifies like tens of thousands of failures. And I think that's such a powerful lesson. And Mm -hmm. if you can take that to heart, and bring that to other parts of your life. Oh my god, you're you're gonna have such an easy time with the rest of your life.
2: Well, failure mm-hmm. teaches us like that's that it just that just is it. Failure teaches yeah. us that's how you learn.
1: Yeah. Is is if you
2: only succeed, then you only know one way to do things. But if you fail, then you know ten thousand ways not to do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really interesting point too, though, what you what you talk about where you're almost, you know, not just failing through trial and error, but maybe not intentionally failing, but knowing that you're going to put yourself out by trying a new, a new build or trying a different strategy or a way to deal with something. And that, yeah, you're not going to be good at it when you start because who is. And so as a result of that, you probably will fail, but not letting that be discouraging. Um, and, you know, to your point about, you know, yeah, if you're in the the show match and, and the money's on the line, fine. But if you're on the ladder, and some of this that i'm talking out is really probably for myself but Mm -hmm. um but if you're on the ladder it's like if you lose to the mmr guy that was higher right then is that loss real i mean you were supposed to lose like (laughs) mathematically right (laughs) and if you beat the lower mmr player should there really be this rush of like oh i'm so powerful now i mean like he was worse or she or you know what i mean (laughs) but like that player was worse uh, again according to the mmr system so it's I I think that's an excellent point um, to, to bring up and not again, not just in the context of Starcraft, but just, yeah, just that, that whole concept that you mentioned is, is excellent. Um, hmm. Yeah yeah i don't know i i had another question lined up and i am honestly just gotten completely derailed because that was such an interesting point well, no so i'm very good
1: at talking for 10 minutes at a time <laughs> no it, it was awesome it was awesome it was it was very thoughtful no anyway. so you
2: bring up platformers and you bring up some some other things so let's reach a little bit outside and uh you know so as much or as little time as you want to spend on any of these but uh you know, you mentioned your parents were kind of against teen rated games. They were they were pretty strict on the ESRB on you. <laughs> um, so what was your introduction to gaming like in general? Be it, you know, a transition from board games to video games or what your first video games were or where did that passion uh, you know, gestate? Where did it come from?
1: Oh yeah, it was a, it was all an accident actually. It was a 19 the year is 1996. That was after <laughs> my birthday. The Nintendo 64 had just launched in America, and I had no concept of what a video game was. And I had a, uh, a cousin who's, like, 20 years older than me, like, fun family tree stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but, like, he bought me a Nintendo 64. I have no idea why he decided to do this or anything, but, like, my parents didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. He was just like, Yeah, this seemed like something that Robbie would really enjoy. And I'm like, Cool. Try it Super Mario sixty four. Like, that's my intro. My parents wow. still point back to that moment as like, This is the moment that you ruined our child's life. <laughs> like, all that fun stuff. Um, I think they've come around on that one now, but yeah.
0: Right.
2: So, so that's a that's a that's a an iconic intro like that is <laughs> that is like the like ideal kind of intro at least for that you know generation of gaming
1: mm-hmm. oh man, so, yeah yeah oh, go ahead please oh no that was uh, I, I was just just I was reminiscing just i was just reminiscing on stretching mario's long... face around <laughs> oh for sure i think i probably i i don't know this for certain anymore but i probably took like maybe a few days to figure out that i wasn't even in the game when i was just doing the stretchy (laughs) stuff i was probably just like this is the game like who knows it's Uh, so awesome yeah i was just reminiscing about how long it took me like to even get past the early intro stages i'm pretty sure i got stuck i didn't even realize there was more than just the bomb bomb level in super mario 64 for pro it must have been at least six months or something like i was (laughs) just there i was like this is the game because i had no concept of what a game even was right
0: right yeah i mean mario 64 was i mean i had played i had a nintendo and a super nintendo so i was very familiar and even for me it was shocking what that game offered so um it, it's crazy too to think about like i, I love i think we're a little bit older than you maybe but similar in age um so that feels appropriate um there is a whole another generation of gamers though that like their first gaming experience was like an xbox 360 or like 1080p gaming and It's like yeah. what like no like you go back <laughs> you play pong you spit on the disc
1: you rub <laughs> your shirt on it exactly <laughs> let me let me ask you guys are you guys gonna are you guys going to or are you guys already the kind of uh people who will like have kids and be like You know, you. I'm not buying you any new consoles. You have to, you have to earn the new consoles first, and you like sit them down and like lock them in a room, and it's like, okay, now you play the Super Nintendo, and you don't come out until Donkey Kong Country has been beaten, hundred (laughs) percented.
2: I I guess we're lucky that that my my non-existent kids are lucky they don't exist because for me it would be, I got to level ninety nine. On joust on an Atari and got the <laughs> failure of it resetting to level oh 1 with the level 99 difficulty and it you don't get a win screen. You start there. <laughs> when you get there then you come back to me and we'll talk about HD. <laughs>
1: you know, our parents were like, stand in the corner and recite your multiplication tables and now we hate math. Our kids are just going to be like, God, I can't stand video games. You know, the parents made me play joust every Please let me
2: play piano something (laughs) i'll I'll learn violin
1: (laughs) developing rsi at the age of four and a half like oh no wow
0: that's pretty great (laughs) um so obviously we're talking a bit about your history so in in relation to casting you know you talked about playing starcraft and and playing smash being your kind of first introduction to the competitive gaming scene how did you kind of get started in in casting how did that become on, on your radar
1: oh yeah uh my my favorite way of explaining this is that because i sucked at starcraft like <laughs> so uh for those who don't know like there is a ongoing competitive league for basically collegiate scenes in i, I think it's, it's a little bit less so there in starcraft these days but it's there in like league of legends and dota and a bunch of other games uh especially back in the day though it was primarily around starcraft it was called the collegiate star league and this was really big all the colleges basically across the united states and some in canada and even a few in like europe and stuff would uh, be involved and it was like it would actually bring like to the video game scene or side of things uh basically like the same college rivalries like I went to Purdue University and we hated Indiana University. So we hated the Indiana University Starcraft Club and everything and all <laughs> sorts of fun stuff. And there'd be like the regional competition. People would drive in for like the LAN events to go pl- and like basically just to be like, yeah, that they're like their college club is running this uh, like thing and they're giving away some keyboards and stuff. Let's go just win their stuff so none of them get any prizes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Uh, So I mean like just super super fun stuff like that but uh, this collegiate league was like an online primarily thing where basically all the teams would be playing against each other and my school actually had a pretty good team like we pretty consistently make the playoffs we usually would make like round of 16 or something and get knocked out there so so we weren't like the absolute top teams or anything but we were pretty good. And I was like an average level player, quote unquote. I say average. Everyone's everyone's concept of what average is is different. (laughs) I I was like diamond league or something, and all of my my team is
2: silver now. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Um, But my uh, my whole team was basically just like masters league. So I was like, I'm just never gonna get a chance to play. But I had this one friend uh, there, like another person on the team, who would live stream the matches, just like jump into only our matches and he would commentate them uh really really great guy his name was ama face um which is i always thought was a great name ama (laughs) face um but yeah i i I think i i was kind of like i want to be involved like that's part of my personality even playing like mmos and stuff i was always like the person that was always talking in guild chat and everything i was like how do i get involved and i'm like okay can i can i like hop on and try out commentating and stuff with you so did that i found that i really enjoyed it and uh It kind of took off from there. I'd say like the next thing would be I fast forward to 2011 and I'm kind of like, I'm sort of thinking about doing more commentary and stuff. And I attend my first professional StarCraft event ever. It was MLG Anaheim 2011.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, Really fun event. But one of the things I I did there, and I, I, I still have this notepad on my phone because I went up to all the commentators and said like, okay, if there's one thing you would recommend to like an aspiring commentator or something, what would it be like gr- coming up in the scene? And I still I still have this uh, li- literally the notepad is called caster advice. I went to DJ Wheat and I wrote down the notes of everything he said. And DJ Wheat was like, "Oh, do your ho- like work on hosting, introducing players, going to the game, like filling time. This is the stuff that he's like I have years of experience doing that, and that's really helped me." And like that's what I think is a missing from a lot of the up and coming talent in control was like oh get hard stats and preparation work because it's very difficult uh some of the topics that we talked about where people are like very judgmental if you don't know your stuff Mm -hmm. and if you just say like things that are actually smart and correct but other people don't think they're smart or correct because it's like (laughs) a little bit up to judgment like this build is good against this build like yes it probably is, but there's going to be some people who are like, no, you're wrong and you're dumb and I hate you now. Like, <laughs> having hard statistics to back up your things yep. and make them like irrefutable would help basically allow you to like bypass a lot of that stage. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's really cool advice. And then I talked to Day9, and Day9 is like, he's like my man crush. He, I <laughs> love this man dearly, and he like life inspiration for me. So I talked to Day9, and he's like, all right, what did the other people say? Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Am I allowed to curse? By the way. Oh, sure. (laughs) Go for it. All right. So he's like, okay, yeah, cool, cool. Um, oh, that's what that's in control. All right. Fuck everything that everyone else said. All right. Here, write (laughs) this down. And he basically says like, okay, what you want to do is commentate for thirty days in a row. One, just one game a day, at least for thirty days in a row. Doesn't matter if you're feeling sad. Doesn't matter if you're feeling. Like depressed, doesn't matter if you fail the test, doesn't matter if your girlfriend broke up with you, doesn't matter if you won the lottery. Just like commentate regardless, no matter what, for thirty days in a row. And at the end of the thirty days, you will know what you like about commentating, what you don't like about it, and if it's something that you'd actually want to do, even when you're not feeling great and everything. And I was like, okay, this is like great advice, and I became a total sellout. I literally like every single day I tweeted, I'm like doing day seven of at day nine tv's like challenge and every single day i tweeted at him i don't know why he didn't block me because i'm pretty sure i would i would have blocked myself but (laughs) um but yeah i ended up doing that and i found that by the end of it i really enjoyed it there was also like some other little added benefits like commentary is a very uh arbitrary thing and it's very easy to get into it and just feel like you're just copying other people or you're Act, it's like very easy to just be like well this is what commentary is so i'll just do what they're doing but just doing it every day like on your own kind of forced me to like also find a little bit of what i enjoyed about it and kind of dive more into that stuff instead of just becoming a copycat so yeah uh from there i was kind of like yeah you know what i'm interested in this and uh I, i'd have to fast forward much further out to like 2016 or 2017 to actually get to the point where i'm like Ever actually thinking about it, doing it in any professional capacity. But yeah, it was just something that I ended up pursuing as like a a fun hobby on the side ever since then.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's an excellent, um, point that you, that you share there about the, the consistency of it, right? Like it's, it's one thing to, to be like, oh, I think I'm going to commentate and then do it once and then, Mm -hmm. oh, I'll do it in another month or something, but you just aren't getting the reps in. And, and I think it's, you know, if someone was thinking about being a pro gamer clearly it's like, well, I need to play the game a lot. Right. But when it comes to commentating, it's not as obvious, maybe even though that you just explained it in a very obvious way, but it's like, I I'll just say me when I was going to say other people, but me, like I wouldn't have thought like, yeah, just do it every day for 30 days. Like that makes, <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. And I just, I think it's awesome because it's, uh, it's just, a, you know, we're talking about relating things to life in general and it's, it just seems to be true in, in all things in life. Like, you know, you're talking about martial arts earlier and all these different things. And it's it's this it's this consistency that really, really is what makes something work or not. Not a viral moment, which I think social media has kind of conditioned us to to try and think is the way out. And it's like, no, it's just doing it a lot. <laughs> it's the, the 10,000 hours kind of thing. I mean, not right. that that's all there is to it, but 100 percent there's a lot there. So
2: it sounds like, you know, that 30 days is where you develop a lot of your persona. You break out of doing it like other people do it. You find your own methods and your own ways and, you know, start driving your own path in that time. But we have to ask, we try to ask everybody this question is, where does the name come from? So where, when, (laughs) and how did you become Fear Dragon?
1: Oh, God. All right, so... Both of my parents work in, like, tech. So I came from, like, a family that was, like, involved in computers and stuff from a long time ago. So, like, the year is probably, like, 1995 or something like that. 1990. Pretty early on. Early 90s. Early mid-90s. And my parents were like, you should get an email address. And the only person I was ever emailing at the time was my grandfather. (laughs) My parents wouldn't even email me. Just my (laughs) grandfather. (laughs) Of course cuz you know grand- grandparents are always of course love their children or their grandchildren like ridiculously yeah 100%. So um they were like okay you should get it like you should pick a name. Um I will say the first email I got was like sunshine kid 1990 or something like that <laughs> and I'm like okay okay uh, so like a year later, I'm like, I'm I'm outgrowing this. I'm outgrowing yeah, I'm this. no longer a <laughs> sunshine kid. <laughs> I'm no longer a sunshine kid. I've seen some shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right, all right. What's really cool? Dragons are really cool. All right, all right. Um, dragons breathe fire. How about fire dragon? Yeah, fire fire dragons taken. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. What what else is there? Uh, fear. Fe- fear it, it kind of sounds like fire and it's also like but it's 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 like a cool thing it's like edgy yeah fear cool, dragon like, yeah. and then i and then at this point it was like 1996 at this point so i had my n64 i'm like fear dragon 64 there we go uh. and i just stuck with it because i'm too lazy to completely <laughs> re-brand. and now at this point i can't rebrand like it's too late right I, right
0: yeah, I thought it was interesting. And and obviously it had no tie because you didn't have this level of uh, foresight when you were that that age. But it's interesting because, you know, obviously Starcraft commentating is, is that. But, you know, we're talking about ladder anxiety in your modest musings. You're talking about dealing with I don't know that you use the word fear, but it's different versions of fear, right? Like self-doubt, self-confidence things and so it, it, it again i know that it's not correlated but it was also i was almost thinking like i wonder if there's some like element if he's like slaying fear or something you know what i mean cuz to some oh, man, extent cool. the content that you're putting out outside of of commenting does kind of do that um i don't know i don't know if you've ever thought about that or if that's really cheesy and if it is that's fair but it's just <laughs> you no know, i
1: love it i i've never thought about that although i will say i did find Another, because it's always funny. Uh, I always think in my head like, "There's no one else stupid enough to name them for fear <laughs> dragon." But every so often, I'm like, "Some, there's there's some fear dragons out there. Why are there fear dragons out there?" So I like will search for fear dragon or something and be like, <laughs> "What?" what are these other fear dragons doing? Like, who are they? and now why are full circle are they as... on
2: the Googling. Yeah, are they,
1: are they as strange <laughs> as me? I'm, like, Googling myself, but to find other people, not myself? Are they not 16 myself? too? <laughs> yeah, and I, I did find... Oh, my God. It's, like, the straight... It was, like, the most surreal thing. I found this, like, a few months ago. I found this very sweet old lady. Like, I think she... Okay, well, I say old lady. I don't know how old she is. She, seems, she seems like i'll be generous she seems like she's between like 50 and like 80 or so and somewhere she's somewhere in there <laughs> the title of this video is slaying the fear dragon <laughs> wow <laughs> um and she's basically talking about like basically overcoming fears and all this stuff in like super nice way it's like it's great too because she's she's trying to do like these diagrams but she doesn't have a whiteboard so she's like is holding like six pieces of white paper that she's drawn little oh, diagrams on oh. and i'm like this is the sweetest thing i'll tweet her video out and tell people to
2: subscribe or something that is that is something that i think is so interesting because there's like the, there's the viral pop internet and then but like that's literally the tip of the tip of the iceberg that's the <laughs> yeah. point one of the one percent and really the bulk of like the data stored on the collective internet is grandma's video with mm-hmm. three views that are her family that's on YouTube of, of whatever. And there's so much more of that content mm-hmm. that it's like, everybody thinks that the AIs are going to learn from like the, the, you know, ninjas and the Markipliers or whatever, <laughs> but it's really going to learn from like 10 billion, billion trillion hours of grandma content that just uh, the unsearchable unfindable you know 50th page of google content that's out there have, i don't know i you, love it i love diving in there sometimes
1: have you guys seen community the tv sh- or the tv show
0: uh, a little bit i'm familiar with yeah.
1: it. There's a there's a running gag that there's like this, Because uh, it's about like a community college and everything. One of the characters is like side characters, background characters, is named Leonard. He's like this super old, like seventies or eighties year old uh like guy. And he has a YouTube channel where he reviews like potato chips. Just like bags of potato chips. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> and like a kid, like every so often they'll have like one of those little things play where he just like he opens a bag is like, yeah, smells crispy. It takes one, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Well, thanks. Um, remember to like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the video. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is a meme, but it actually exists like oh, that. In a lot so of much places. of it. So much yeah. more of
2: it than anybody thinks really is out there. Mm-hmm. Like, all any kid with a phone has probably tried to start a YouTube channel in the same way that at least when I was in school, Any kid with pencil and paper wanted to be a comic book artist, you know, and so they draw comics. It's just now it's saved out there on the internet where, you know, eight and 10 year olds are reviewing their action figures. Like I love it. There's so much of it. It's so great.
1: So I'm going (laughs)
0: to, I'm going to do a non appropriate segue just because I'm going back to an earlier conversation and and I don't know if how good of a question this is, but when you were talking about learning to commentate and like, Mm -hmm kind of getting over this idea of uh, like am I just copying other people or whatever? I, I was listening to a, a stand-up comedian recently and he was asked about um, joke stealing and how prevalent that is in, in comedy and and he said, you know, honestly, I don't think that people just blatantly stealing someone else's joke one to one is is really all that common. But he was like it's really more like a cadence thing mm-hmm. where, You just kind of talk in the same cadence that maybe another more successful comedian does. Again, I don't know if that translates directly to the commentating, but can you elaborate more on maybe what that the copying looks like and how how people are copied and how you avoid that? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I I think that does happen. I think I did actually fall into that a little bit at one point. Uh, You know, I I mentioned I had a Superman crush on day nine. I think I uh, I had this ritual where i'd like you know i think a lot of people like fall asleep to like a podcast or something i'd fall asleep Mm -hmm. to like youtube videos and when i first was getting into starcraft i would fall asleep i was like oh i have to catch up on all the day nine dailies so basically for like at least a few months i fell asleep every (laughs) single day to day nine's voice and I think that may have had some long-term psychological effects.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nah, you're fine. Yeah. Day 9 <laughs>
1: daily. <laughs> yeah. But I think I I think I definitely picked up maybe parts of his cadence and that kind of stuff as well. I think that does happen. Um I I don't think it's like the cadence thing is too big of an issue. Hmm. Or at least I haven't seen it become a major issue literally outside of Day 9. I think People sometimes there's there's like three very clear and obvious infectious uh things about Day Nine, and I like in the way that he speaks. One is he has a very very like high level of energy when he's talking, mm-hmm. and that so basically if you embody any one of these three things, you will probably be compared to Day Nine, uh by somebody. Somebody will be like, you know, he this person reminds me of Day Nine. Like, <laughs> um, so like high energy level. Uh, the cadence that he kind of speaks at, like the pacing of everything. And I think also uh, if you try and do like any content that he's ever done, which is like, I'm analyzing oh, a game. <laughs> oh, you're, you're day nine. You're analyzing a, a game for, for <laughs> YouTube or something. oh, I'm trying to tell stories or something like, Oh, basically doing storytelling with day nine. Like I'm trying to do strange fun builds on the ladder. Oh, it's fun day. Monday. You're day nine. Like <laughs> you're literally just copying him. It's like, Oh, okay, cool. um But I think, yeah, if you do any one of those three things, you'll kind of get called out for it. But, but science day nine, I actually can't think of almost any times that people really have issues with that.
0: Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. I was just curious. Cause I had never, until I heard that, conversation with the comedian i had never thought of cadence as something that you would steal it makes sense intellectually but um well yeah i mean it's yeah. like it's it's
2: ingrained genetically it's it's called mimic memory where where mimicry is how we integrate into like if you lose your tribe and you find a new tribe the best chances you have of getting adopted by them is to act like them and look like mm. them and 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 talk like them and so like and it's also how we learn as children is like monkey see monkey do kind of thing you know where that's how we learn as we watch other people do it and we try to mimic that And so i think there's a lot of subconsciousness to that as well
1: yeah i think the one place i would say that probably does happen actually now that more that i think about it it's probably and i think it's almost uh, like an active effort that i sometimes will do it if i'm watching like a tv show or something like that that i'm like this was really funny this was a really well delivered line like how can i do something like that and i kind of think about like the cadence or like you know the style of the delivery and that kind of stuff i think i think everyone does that to some degree like even if you're just hanging out with friends and stuff like a lot of people tend to mimic the tv show jokes or whatever that you know were made
2: well if if i just walk up to somebody and this was you know this is gonna be a super age joke already even though it's you know only a few years back but if you just walk up to somebody and be like i'm pickle rick it's not funny (laughs) yeah if you don't scream it and try to adapt the same way and that's for any any pop line from any tv show you know they killed kenny is not funny unless you scream it and do the squeaky voice like it I, I think that that's always going to be kind of the case is to try to the joke is more than just the line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You talking about day nine already did it did make me think of there's a South Park where the Simpsons already did it. Like yeah. every, <laughs> every idea they come up with, it's like, yeah, there's already a Simpsons episode. Um, well, Fear Dragon, we really appreciate you stopping by tonight. And and one thing we always want to ask uh, our guests, uh, it's the the tagline of our show is 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 why gaming matters. Um, and obviously we've talked a lot about gaming and, and outside of life and that sort of stuff, but literally there is no right answer. Just when you hear the phrase, why why gaming matters, why does gaming matter to you, What what, what is your response to that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, to me, uh, I, we talked about a lot of stuff that I could probably like rehash and repeat. But I think one of the biggest things that we didn't talk about and also that comes to mind for me is I think gaming was like, it was kind of, a. it gave me a place. It gave me like friends i think i'll have made a lot of friends through gaming like growing up uh it was like a common ground i remember having a really hard time in like middle school and stuff transitioning i like changed schools in the middle of uh like right before i was going to graduate from middle school had a really hard time and i got really into like an mmo called ragnarok online had a really tight build guild uh nice st- still close with or like i still consider myself like friends with a lot of those people if any one of them would just like randomly told me like hey i'm in town and i need to play Crash." i'd be like yes please feel free (laughs) um i think gaming has basically it's connected me with a lot of people and i think it's also given me just this uh community that i feel like i can kind of rely on like it's a it's a safe place in a lot of ways Mm. and i think that's probably like one of the most impactful things for me in gaming uh gaming in a lot of ways like gaming has shaped my life like i originally was going to, I wanted to become a game developer and everything. And I got even more into games through that decided that I was not cut out for it, but I still was like, I I couldn't stay away from games. Like such a big part of my life at this point.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful answer. And I will say, I mean, for me that gaming, there's a lot of reasons that gaming matters, just like you've, you know, elaborated on earlier in the show. But um, for me, I think the social outlet that it provides is also, um, probably its highest value for me um so yeah that that makes a lot of sense well fear dragon obviously you've got youtube uh twitter Where, where where can people find you we'll have links in the show notes but just so people listening can hear where should they they go to look you up
1: yeah it should be fear dragon 64 on every social media because I never have trouble getting that user.
2: <laughs> the 64 part puts you oh, into yeah. a smaller niche where you. Oh yeah. Oh right, uh, yeah. It's a niche number. of a niche. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> that that one grandmother will never ask for the 64. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty much that on everything. I'm I'm a bit less active these days. I think I've actually made a move less toward doing like live streaming and a lot of that kind of content. I'm I'm sort of enjoying just like doing content that's more YouTube or like I just things that I just sort of feel like doing more so than things that I felt like I had to do. Like I don't, I don't live stream every day. In fact, I'm almost somewhat proudly can say I've only live streamed like five times this year. Like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's been a lot of fun just doing content that I actually want to do. So I'm doing like weird coding videos and you know, I'm planning to do more of those kind of, I think the modest musings, it's funny you guys kept talking about the (laughs) modest musings because I I sort of look at that as like uh, a series that I've now adapted to doing more like video essay style stuff. That's right. A little like I have pictures and videos that basically are literally just me talking over a modest music video. So um, I think I'm planning to do a lot more of that kind of stuff, but that'll all be on my YouTube. Yeah.
0: Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. So that's all for our
2: episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee over at ko-fi.com P-U-Y-S pod, or just tell a friend about us. It really does make a difference. All of the links on our social accounts are available down in the show notes. And if you want to hear more from either of us on topics outside of gaming, check out Walker's podcast, The Walk Show, which talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests, and my podcast, Dungeons & Ditters, which is where the love of fantasy is food for thought.